Hey there and welcome to Fill Me Up. I'm Steve Walker and this is the show to help fuel your filmic discussions. Such as, should there be some rules for cinema etiquette? Uh, so they usually they have the uh, thing to turn off your phones at the start of the cinema, at the start of the screening even. Uh, but I've had a couple of experiences in the past week or so and it's made me feel like there should be more there should be more done really um so the first one i want to see uh, avengers which is a three-hour film um now t- admittedly i probably wouldn't have had this problem if i'd have got there slightly earlier um because i had to go because i'd booked a seat and when i got there the lights turned down and the film was about to start and i thought oh I'll look for my empty seat not there, so I had to just sit at the front where there was a space. And this meant that I was sat next to um, a dad and three kids. One of them, who was about five, clearly did not want to be there. Bearing in mind, this is a three-hour film that is the finale of a 22-film saga that started way before this kid was even born. So this kid does not want to be involved at all not interested, talking through it, climbing on chairs, and they even had this uh, sort of, what do they call it, like a novelty uh, popcorn bucket that was made of metal, and they'd obviously eaten all the popcorn really quickly between three kids. Then this kid had turned it upside down, was sat on it on the floor, and then was just scraping it along the floor, disrupting everybody. And I'm pretty sure there was a member of staff nearly came and kicked them out, but it was... It just wasn't a great experience for me, and be having on that was all on top of having to sit right at the front, right at the side. So, not the greatest experience, and but this kid definitely did not help. And the parent was just telling the kid off, and was just like, "I want to watch this film," but it's the it's the parent's fault that he shouldn't have brought a five year old to this film. Really, it's not a film for a five year old, and it disrupted people disrupted a lot of people like the member of staff wouldn't have been there if people hadn't complained already so yeah and then the other one i had was uh, i went to see pet cemetery and i went at a late screening so it was like 10 o'clock and i'm pretty sure i'm 90 percent sure someone fell asleep because there was times when it goes quiet as it does in all horror films and all i could hear was <sighs> It's like being in a screening with Darth Vader. You just hear this heavy breathing. And then occasionally you get a little bit of a snore as well. And it just peed me right off. And I thought about making a loud banging noise to try and wake them up. But you're like, nah, it's a horror film. They do jump scares. It'll do that itself. Now, didn't wake them up. And for the most of the film, that happened. And it's so frustrating. Like, if you're you're not going to watch the film, why bother paying the money to see it? So... Whatever, that's uh, just a little bit of a rant from me. And uh, maybe there, I feel that there should be some sort of cinema etiquette and there should be stricter rules on like letting kids in. Or just general common sense. If you're going to, if it's a late screening and you feel like you're going to fall asleep, just don't bother going. Um, speaking of pet cemetery, um, so this week, uh, we're, what I'm going to do is I'm not. Normally, I talk about a film that I've seen this this week, which would be Pet Cemetery, but I'm also but what because it's the first weekend of May, I'm actually gonna talk about all well, some of the films that came out in April, uh, were the ones that I've seen anyway. So I saw five, so I saw Shazam, well in the order that I saw them, uh, Shazam, Missing Link, Hellboy, uh, Avengers Endgame, and Pet Cemetery. So, and I'm going to talk about all those films. I'm going to go spoilers heavy. So if you haven't seen any of these films or if there's any in particular you don't want to hear about, um, I know that Avengers Endgame will be one of them. Um, look in the description. There'll be time codes for so that you can hop around and you don't have to spoil it. Um, Avengers Endgame is right at the end. So if you've not... If you don't want to have any spoilers for that, then you can listen to the rest of it and then just turn off when we get to that. Um, so, yeah, so I'm basically I'm going to work in the order of which I think is sort of the worst to best. Um, so 
the worst I thought was Pet Cemetery. Um, now although it's uh, it's a Stephen King novel, um, so I, a lot of the problems that I have will are sort of plot wise. So I think I, I've not read the book, and I haven't watched the previous film that from whenever it was the eighties or whatever. So a lot of the problems I have are kind of plot holes or plot problems, and like I guess these could be problems in the book. I'm just taking it from face value for what it is from the film. Um, but generally, it's it's not a great film. It was fine, but it's just a quite generic horror film that tends to have a lot of the typical people making sort of stupid decisions that they seem to do in horror films that is just frustrating. Um, but it wasn't just like the protagonist. It was just side characters, just everybody. And um, so, yeah, but... One of the things that stuck out to me was they had this sort of side plot with uh, the wife. So basically the Pet cemetery for those who haven't seen it and aren't that bothered. Um, a family moves to from the city to the country and on their land is a pet cemetery and further back from that is some sort of weird... It's kind of... I don't really remember it. It's kind of weird. Some... Some sort of mystical, magical burial ground, essentially. So, and there's all sorts of weird happenings, goings on. But one kind of side plot to the, all of this was that the wife of the family, she she had a sister who was deformed and she was kind of, she had like a twisted spine or something. But the way that you this sort of manifests is that this uh, kind of deformed sister basically basically creeps out the wife and so much so that the wife ended up having to take up some food to her uh, take up her dinner but she decided I'm not going to do that because she scares me so much and what I'm going to do instead is put it, her dinner in the dumb waiter send that up but the dumb waiter it shouldn't really be used. It's it's kind of a bit rickety, but I'm doing it anyway because she scares me so much. And so the deformed sister with the twisted spine had to then crawl out of bed, crawl over to the dumb waiter to get her dinner. And so you don't see her do this. You just hear the sort of shufflings going on up, upstairs. And then when she gets to the dumb waiter, it's rickety and then she falls. Basically, it is the form sister falls down this dumb waiter and kept, her spine is completely twisted more than it was, and basically she's killed, and it's basically the wife's fault because she didn't take up her dinner, and this sort of like traumatizes her and haunts her, but it's this weird sort of side thing, and I'm like, I don't even like why couldn't she have just been a normal wife? Like, why did she need this weird backstory? And it's just very strange, and the whole like thing of her backstory is very strange just in general because she's so scared of her sister for being deformed. But, and the way that this sort of film, like like in lots of horror films, they do sort of like mental patients, like patients from mental asylums or whatever, they are treated as like the horror villains or whatever. And then like the disabilities aren't really portrayed very well. And that's a common theme from horror films just in general and this is sort of the same thing because it's almost like because she's deformed and a bit twisted that means that she's this weird evil creepy sister but i feel like in a real life situation the parents like it's basically it's bad parenting because the parents should have just talked to her talked to her and they if she was feeling frightened or scared and a bit freaked out then she should have been able to talk to her parents and work it out and maybe talk to the sister a bit, and like, it just, it just seemed a bit strange, um, and then, the whole reason why the sister had to take, the uh, wife had to take up the food to the sister was because the parents had gone out, and left her alone, and so, that again, is bad parenting as well, because if she's really scared of her sister, then maybe you shouldn't leave her alone with her, um, or leave her to do tasks that mean that she has to interact with her, if she's not comfortable with it um and 
this side plot, I've gone on this for way too long, but this side plot, it seems to carry on because the wife basically, um, when they're in the country, the cat gets killed, they bury the cat, the cat comes back, and but weird, but like evil, and then the, the one of the children of the family finds the cat in the road and he's like, oh, this is our cat, gets hit by a truck and he dies. And then the wife and the son then move back to live with her parents, which is the same house where the sister died. And she's still getting like visions or like hallucinations or something because the, the area that they were in with the countryside is all kind of weird and stuff. So you can sort of go, yeah, they're having all these weird visions and she's, it's bringing back memories and whatnot. But then she's still having these visions, even when she goes back to her house, which I find is a bit strange. Um, but I don't know. But also, if she's so scared of like that house and it's traumatizing for her, why go back there? Why not just stay with a friend or something? Or I mean, like, she's got to be what, like in her 40s? So like, why is she not taught to her parents about this at all? It just seems very strange. But anyway, that's all the side thing. The main thing is, um, so at the start when the cat dies and then they bury the cat, John Lithgow is a guy that lives in the area and he originally had, had his dog had died and he buried his dog and then his dog came back evil and they had to kill the dog again. So he basically is the instigator of the whole story that we have um, because he basically makes Jason Clark, who's the dad of the family, bury the cat. But not in the pet cemetery where you would where they, you would think to bury it. But they have to climb this weird like makeshift fence, and then walk through swamps. And f it seems like you get the impression that they walked for a good old while, and then they get to this weird mount and this weird symbols, and you get some weird like. It's a very spooky area, and then they have to climb up this mound. And then they get to the top of the mound and he has to bury it there. And you're like, why have you decided to bury it there? Like, why have you gone, yeah, I'm going to walk with you for an hour rather than just burying it where we were standing? Like, it's very strange. It's one of those weird decision things. Um, but after that, um, oh, but basically also when they were in that area and going through the swamp and whatever, you get... The, they talk about Wendigos and they're like that's part of the thing of why stuff comes back or whatever but John Lithgow doesn't even explain that stuff comes back he just goes yeah just bury it here um, which I find is strange why not have 100% transparency if that's what you're going to do but also you get like this weird like vague shape in the distance like a shadow and you're like, is that a Wendigo? Like, are they there? Is this a thing? Are we in the world? Is this a world where Wendigos exist? I don't know. This is what is going on. But that never comes up again. It's very strange. Maybe it's in the books and they just left it out. But it's a weird thing to maybe hint to, but not bother going into detail with. Uh, probably would have been more interesting, to be honest. But basically, when the cat comes back, um, it's evil. And so there's a point where Jason Clark, because he's a doctor, so he has this, he basically has an injection that he can put it down with and he nearly kills it, but he didn't, doesn't because basically he's like, oh, I don't want to kill a cat, but he should have just manned up. It's not even his cat anymore. And so if he does that, the kid doesn't find the cat in the street and then there's no dead kid and then there's nothing else. But, uh, whatever, this is just horror films for you. Then, um, then he has to go, but he goes back and buries the kid when they die because apparently, when you bury someone or something in the on the mound, it draws you back to bury something else, but you don't really get that from the film. I mean, I think they did try to do it with sort of visions and. Because he has, uh, Jason Clark, the dad, has visions and he goes sleepwalking into the forest. And you're like, I don't really know where this is going. But it, I guess that's what it is. But it's very unclear. 
And I guess John Lithgow is like, oh yeah, I've buried something. You should bury something. We should go back and bury things. But it's you don't get that in a turmoil. There should have been more direction of in trying to get more like almost like a split personality, sort of like twi- like being torn between two the decision and whether to bury something, uh, just to get that across. Um, rather than just having it be like this sudden change of being like, oh, my kid's dead. I'm going to bury this kid now. Like, why? Like, it was very sudden. It was very jarring. And and you had these visions, which, like I say, they didn't make much sense at the time. I don't know whether that was me just being stupid, thinking, like, horror film, turn brain off. But if that's the case, like, in a world where you've got films like Us and Get Out and It and things like this, and uh, A Quiet Place, where you've got tight scripts and tight stories, you need something to... If something's going to be explained or... It's clear you should clearly hint at it or it, you should be able to piece everything together quite easily. Uh, and then at the end, so the kid comes back, the mum ha- comes back as well because uh, he wants to be with the dad, wants to be a family again. And then there are all sorts of chaos and choose and the kid starts trying to kill, starts killing people. And I, I guess when... I, when I was watching it, I thought maybe the kid has super strength or durability or something because they seem to be able to fight these parents off with no, with just with ease. Like there's not a lot of, like they don't have any trouble like attacking these parents, which I find is strange uh, because it's basically, it's a kid and I know it's their kid, but it's a kid still. And you should be able to beat down a kid. So I found it very strange. But basically, yeah, that was... The film wasn't great. uh, But I think... I honestly think the best bit was the ending, like, minute. Because you... It ends with a shot. Because the tiny... The small kid, who must be, like, three or four... Three, probably. Is locked inside the car for safekeeping. And the daughter is who died by the truck, has killed the mum, and buried, dragged the mum, and buried the mum. Mum's come back, the mum's killed the dad, they drag him, bury him, come back, and then you just see a shot of the three of them walking to the car, dead, demented, and it just looks great. And you have this, the film starts with this panning shot of chaos, and it ends with the same sort of panning shot of chaos, and it's so great, and that is like the tease. That's almost a tease for a better film than what I saw. So, I sort of want them to make us follow up, just because it would be better than what we saw. But whether they would, I don't know. And uh, yeah, so that was Pet Cemetery. The next one, the next best film was, in my opinion, was Shazam. Um, I'm going on way too long. With Shazam, um, which it was fine. I enjoyed it, but I just, I don't think it was for me. The biggest thing that I got from it is that it, because it mainly revolves around kids, it very much feels like a kid's film and not a family film. Um, and so, and I think it, it's got a major lack of like a, like a, an adult analog in there. And so there's no, there's no real mentor figure or mentor figure that you can, that an adult can relate to. And, because the superhero as an adult is still a kid, so it's hard to get to even when they're an adult, you don't relate to them because they're still a kid, if that makes sense. And yeah, it's very much a kid's film. Like I told my parents I was seeing it and they sort of scoffed because, and like my parents have seen a lot of superhero films. My dad's seen Aquaman and stuff. So, I mean, it's, it is, it was kind of marketed that way and it is, basically that sort of thing so that's why it's four on my list because it's as an adult it doesn't i couldn't relate to it that much i had a fun time but it was just not as uh yeah it's just not for not for me really but zachary levi was great um he played shazam really well and the only thing i would say is that his version of shazam is very much like the comic books very light-hearted and goofy and whatever but it didn't match the 
the Billy Batson that was younger. So the Billy Batson that gets the, the um goes and gets goes to the Rock of Eternity, uh gets these powers from the wizard called Shazam. He was very moody and quite serious and then when he's an adult and grows up he was very goofy and quite funny and just fun and had enjoying life and they didn't they was a very he was quite mismatched and i know you if you got superpowers and were older then you'd be like you probably would be like quite happy about it but you it wouldn't change your personality completely so it just seemed very strange um Mark Strong was the villain who uh, is uh, Dr. Savannah, who was great, but it didn't have a lot to do. It was more interesting to start with. Uh, they even opened with like a flashback of him as a kid. And it was very interesting seeing him because he was then obsessed with trying to get back to the Rock of Eternity after being rejected to have these powers that Shazam eventually gets. But... After that, he becomes this fairly one-dimensional villain, as a lot of superhero films do, but I guess that's why they're superhero films and not supervillains. But if any, if superhero films recently have told us anything, people like relatable villains. Um, you look at Spider-Man Homecoming, you look at Black Panther, you look at uh, Avengers Infinity War, These they all had villains that had good motivations and people related to them, and you could understand them. And... I think having one-dimensional villains sort of diminishes diminishes your film a little bit. Um, so yeah, um, I really like the family dynamic that they had, and uh, Freddie Freeman, who's sort of the sidekick, was great in particular. And I think the whole like that sort of foster family vibe gave it a sort of cheaper by the by the dozen sort of feel, which is good. Uh, those are good films. Those are fun films, and it sort of. Yeah, it's fun, fun, fun times. Um, I also enjoyed the power tests. So they did all the videos on YouTube and stuff. And yeah, they were good fun. Uh, they were a good idea incorporating it into modern day. And uh, also having the lots of different stupid names and not actually using the name Shazam or Captain Marvel as uh, it originally is in the comics. But uh it was interesting. I don't know why they'd have to have a name at some point, but I guess he can't be Shazam because then every time he'd introduce himself, he'd then turn back into a kid. So I don't know. Well, that's that's not my problem to figure out. Um, also, spoiler alert, right at the end, um, the whole Foster family get Shazam powers and they're all great. Um, they'll turn into adults. I think they were all supposed to get one of the Shazam powers. So one's supposed to get flight, one's supposed to get super strength, one's supposed to get lightning powers, one's supposed to get super speed. And it was all... And they, like, I think they all did that, but I think there was a couple of times where it was like, wait, did they have super speed and super strength? I don't know. But it that's fine. Just brush it under the carpet. Uh, so, yeah. Um, there was also some other bits the some subversions of the genre which were quite good so they had the typical two hero and villain flying in the sky about to do battle and the villain gives this big speech but then because they're so far away shazam can't actually hear so it cuts from one to the other and you've got a bad guy speech and then just like nothing because he's so far away and you're just like what what's going on which other was great um and yeah, so the other sort of villains of the piece are the Seven Deadly Sins, which are manifested as... Which start off as statues, um, but once Dr. Savannah gets through to the Rock of Eternity and gets these powers, he absorbs them all, and then whenever he's out in the real world, he can sort of unleash them, and they're like these big grey demon monsters, which you sort of... You see in a lot of these sort of films... And it's just a bit boring. They're a bit generic. We've seen it. We've been there. You just want a bit of creativity. Especially because it's Seven Deadly Sins. And you could do like a specific design with each one. I think they sort, they sort of did that. But it, they all look too similar. To have noticeable differences. So like what little creativity there was there. Was drowned out by the fact that they're all just grey 
demon monsters. So that was a bit of a shame, but um, yeah. Also, they had a bunch of references to the uh, to the extended world of DC or DCU, and which was good. Um, it's always good to have these sort of things in shared universes, and it fleshes the worlds out a little bit more. But um, they had a Superman cameo right at the end, but it was like neck down because Henry Cavill probably wasn't there. I don't even know if he's Superman anymore. He's in. He's so it's like the hokey pokey. Sometimes he's in, sometimes he's out. Who knows? But um, yeah, um, maybe there was rumors beforehand before the film came out that Superman was going to have a role in it, um, which would have been good because the because Billy Batson didn't have a mental role. Everything was to do with kids and like you thought like a lot of the like his motivations to start with were just finding his mom, and then he finds his mom, and it turns out that she left him when. Because he got lost at a, a carnival when he was young, and she found him, but she just decided not. Well, she saw where he was and just decided not to go and get him. And so you don't have that mentor relationship. You don't have that um, like maternal relationship there. And so he has to look to the foster family for it, which the parents don't really do much. They don't. They're not in the film that much. It's mainly the the other kids. And so it, I feel like, like I said, I felt like it missed that adult analog and you needed a mentor. And I think if you'd had Superman in that role, then it would have worked really well and it would have fleshed that world out and it would have had a big impact. Um, and it would have got people excited about Superman again. I mean, one of the best bits of Justice League was Superman and people liked it. It's the Superman that people wanted. So just have more of that and continue with that left off. Um, yeah, next, uh, moving on to Hellboy, which... Uh, it's not a great film by any stretch, but it's a very entertaining one. And uh, unlike Shazam, I think this is on the other end of the scale. So this is, uh, it surprised me because this is an 18. So I was seeing it in Canada and it's an 18A. I don't know what the rating is. So I guess it's an R rating or whatever. But it's basically, basically it's made for people like me that have grown up with the Hellboy brand and grew up with the Hellboy films and loved them and are now older and love a bit of gore and a bit of swearing and a bit of bit of adult content. Well, no, not that sort of adult content, but a bit of more mature content. Um, so, yeah, there's some great stuff in this. Uh, David Harbour is really good as Hellboy. I don't know whether he's as good as Ron Perman. I've not seen those films in a while. I'd have to watch them. Um, but, yeah, he's great. Um, there's a few like lines that are basically like, smart ass 101 sort of lines but i guess that's right and it's not really his fault um yeah like i say the gore was great um i was taken back at first so i hadn't expected it to be an 18 or be this gory and this sort of this much but it it's great uh it's not like massively over the top but it is exaggerated so it works in the context um, also there's got a lot of rock music in it which I'm a big fan of rock music so it works for me I know some people don't like it I've seen a bunch of reviews of people saying it just doesn't fit but I would disagree but that's just my personal taste um, it's also got uh, it's got some bad acting in it so Daniel Day Kim does a terrible British accent um, I understand that they wanted because originally it was uh, Ed Scrine who is British but that character is Asian, so they he backed down and they got an Asian guy. And I felt like... I feel like there's got to be somebody out there. There's got to be a British-Asian person. There's plenty of British-Asians out there. Um, so, I mean, there must be an actor like that that could fit that role. And I think it would have worked better just because that accent was absolutely awful and it sort of pulls you out of the film a bit. Um, also, Sasha Lane, who plays Alice, she is also not British, but she does a fine British accent, but her, her acting's just flat. Um, it's almost like it's her first acting. Like, I thought she was British. I didn't know she was American. I thought she was British, but it seemed like she was a British actor from children's tv show or something like she'd not really done any serious acting before 
not that this is serious, but like it just seemed very it, like she was overacting or underacting. I don't know. It just seemed flat. It just seemed like it didn't fit. It didn't work. So, yeah, but Ian McShane, on the other hand, is great. He's great in anything. He sort of fits these... He's so good in these sort of genre worlds. So this, John Wick, I, I don't know. I can't remember Pirates of the Caribbean. I don't know. Maybe he was good in that. I don't remember that film being any good, but sure. I imagine he was good in it. He's good in everything. So more Ian McShane is good stuff. Also, they had a pig man in this film. And that was great, especially because he was a scouser, played by Stephen Graham, or voiced by Stephen Graham, and that is just fantastic, because like any time they have a Hollywood film like this, and they put a Brit, like a regional British accent in there, it's just, it's being from Britain, it's so good. Like when they had in Gone in 60 Seconds, Christopher Eccleston's just doing his northern accent, it's so fantastic. It's so good, and they need more of it, because uh, Britain's what the Britain, Britain has a variety of accents, not just the standard Southern England accent. So get more regional accents in there, I say. Um, also, on the subject of Pigman, he was mainly practical effects, but there was probably some CGI to sort of tweak and enhance him, but it just looked amazing. Uh, it rivals the stuff in the Guillermo del Toro films, which if you've seen them and you or you just know of Guillermo del Toro and his sort of practical effects, that's saying something because they are stunning. So, Pigman, good stuff. Other CGI work, not so good. Um, but, the, yeah, there was this point, especially towards the end, uh, Emix, there's a point where, so Alice, she basically can talk, she can touch dead people and then their spirit comes out of her mouth and then they can talk to people. And it, they have that effect twice in the film. The first time it's fine. It's not great, but it's all right. Second time, absolutely awful. And it's Ian McShane and he's this weird ghoulie creature and it looks horrendous, but it's supposed to be this heartfelt speech and it just the cgi is horrible it's something out of like it's almost scorpion king-esque it's so bad um but apart but then there are other times where they have the there's a whole fight scene with giants and that's not too bad um that's quite good fun and that's yeah that's fine um mila jovovich is also in this film she's the villain and she does a fight she her british accent's all right um Everything it's her performance is I'd class it as inoffensive, so there's nothing in there that you can sort of like go, oh that was horrible, like her accent was horrible or that acting was horrible, but it's just kind of bland and generic. It's just the sort of fantasy villain one on one. It's just not that inspired really. Um, yeah, story wise, this film is sort of all over the place. It's got Arthurian legend in it, which is very strange, and. Maybe too much. It sort of reminds me of uh, Transformers: The Last Night, where they sort of put Arthurian legend in there, and you're like, "Why is this in there? This just does not fit whatsoever." Um, I know it's based on comics, and there probably is a storyline like that, and you could definitely make it work. But there's so much other stuff in this film that I feel that they just should have put that on the back burner, um, especially because they have some weird revelations towards the end. Um, because obviously Hellboy is this supposedly, supposedly supposed to be this sort of bringer of death and the, um, the one that brings hell to earth or whatever. And in this film, he is also the descendant of King Arthur. And so he can wield Excalibur, which is crazy. I know these films are supposed to be crazy, but I, me personally, I hate all these big prophecy things. It ruined the Riddick franchise for me. Um, and it sort of ruins this franchise a little bit. I like the stuff where it's just... Yeah, we're just going and we're catching some demons or something. Like, there's a bit... The opening of this film is amazing. So he Hellboy goes to Tijuana to uh, try and work out what's happened to this agent 
who hasn't reported in for a while. He's an undercover agent. Basically, he goes to this sort of luchador wrestling ring, which is great. And uh, one of the luchadors is this agent. And so he's like, oh, yeah, I'll come back if you can. You'll have to make me come back. So you have to fight me for it. And he's like, right, okay. And so they fight. And he turns this agent or this luchador turns into a vampire. And he's so good. Like, this is the sort of thing that I love. Like, a luchador vampire just going out getting this agent. Oh, he's a vampire now. Oh, he's dead. Oh, well. Like, this is the sort of thing that I love. Like, that's what I want of these sort of films. Not Arthurian, like, he's the descendant of King Arthur and he has to find Excalibur or whatever. It's just so bizarre. Um, yeah. Speaking of Excalibur, that. There's a point where he talks to Merlin and Merlin's like, I bring this sword, I brought Excalibur to you, but this is the last thing I'll be able to do before I die. Take it. And he's like, no, I'm not going to take it because if I take it, that brings the end of the world. So he doesn't take it. He's like, oh, but then he has to take, but the only way to beat the villain, to beat Mila Jovovich is to have Excalibur. And the final battle takes place not in Pendle Hill, which is where it should have ended. The film should have ended, I think. But in, but half an hour later, in St. Paul's Cathedral. And lo and behold, underneath St. Paul's Cathedral, once they've bashed out the floor from fighting, what does he find? Oh, it's Excalibur, because that's where King Arthur was buried. And it's just, what, what a coincidence. And it's just so weird. It's one of... It's just the cherry on top of this weird, weird film. Um, but like I say, there is some great stuff in it. The opening's great. They have a big scene of giant hunts and there's some subversion in that, which is great. And uh, yeah, there's a big fight, um, giant fight to Psycho by Muse, which is great. And... Yeah, they also have another weird bit in it where there's Baba Yaga, who's this weird, like, demon witch thing um, who lives in a another dimension or something uh, in a house that's on chicken legs, which is very strange. And we go to that house twice, once because Pigman wants some help getting the villain back together because she's been she was cut into pieces way, way long ago by King Arthur which you see in a in a in an intro the prologue that's the word i was looking for and the second time you see it is because hellboy is summoned there and it's a very strange scene it gets very dark basically she tries to feed him dead kids essentially and you're like where's this where the hell has this come from literally hell where the hellboy has this come from and it's very strange and those two scenes they just were like, the result of the first scene is the pigman can get the villain back together, which I feel like you should have just gone, yep, if you get all the pieces together and just stitch her up, then it's fine. And the second time is Hellboy gets some information on where to find it. Now, I feel like they should have just been able to work that out or whatever. And so you didn't need these scenes whatsoever. And because there's so much going on, you need to cut some stuff out and just streamline it. Now, I know that this film had low, like a really troubled production. There was a lot of conflict between director and studio and cast and crew and blah, blah, blah. And so this is probably like all a big result of it. Um, but yeah, it's not really like it's not really helped. And like at the end of the day, it's quite an entertaining film for what it is. And that, that's why it, and it's third out of the films that I saw. I thought it was more entertaining than Shadam. So whatever. Um Anyway, I've gone on for way... I've already gone on longer than I wanted to, but... Hey-ho! We're still learning. We're still learning. Uh, Missing Link is, the, in my opinion, the second best film that came out in April. Um, there's not much to say about this. Um, it's just a great family fun time. It's a light adventure film. Uh, very charming. Um, it's got... It's stop motion, which is really nice to see. You don't see that very often... And it's very, it's used really well. I always find them stop motion films. I guess it's partly because I grew up with Wallace and Gromit and Chicken Run and Shaun the Sheep and all that kind of thing. That I find, and a lot of the Ardman stuff. 
um, I find this sort of animation just really charming. Um, so anytime you see a film in stop motion, it 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 makes me feel like a kid again a little bit. Um, so yeah, uh, the voice cast are all great. Hugh Jackman, Zoe Saldana, Zach Galifianakis, especially as uh, the titular Link. Uh, they're all great. The writing's good stuff. Uh, there's a lot of funny jokes in there, um, a lot of funny gags, um, and it's great. Um, the thing that I would say is the ending is kind of, it's a bit unsatisfying. Um, so the whole premise is the 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 link is the last living Sasquatch, but he wants some. He's just lonely, and he wants some family. So he gets this adventurer who is Hugh Jackman to come and find him and to take him to the Yetis in the Himalayas because he thinks that they're basically his cousins so he'll be able to live there. And at the end, you get they get to the Yetis place and the Yetis are like, no, don't like you. You're a slob. You don't belong with us. Go away. And it's, it's like a typical sort of down... Like that's the downbeat of these sort of films, like like Disney films or just animations or family films. There's always like a down, and then they have to go, and then they pick themselves back up at the end. And but I didn't think it needed that. Like this was a charming film, and I felt like it. The journey was the story, and the ending didn't really matter. I mean, this is a family film, and so you don't need a twist like that in there. You could have just had it where he gets there and everything's fine, and it's a nice happy ending. That's sort of what you want and that's more satisfying than him being rejected by them but then taken in by Hugh Jackman's adventure and they're like this little duo to go exploring like it's fine but it just doesn't it didn't hit the right tone for me um so part I guess partly that part of the reason of that is also because Hugh Jackman's character arc is basically like at the start he his valet or his like assistant quits because he's treated so poorly but the way that you saw I sort of saw that was Hugh Jackman's not a mean person he's just sort of oblivious and he's just really focused on his work and he just either really enjoys it or that's what he wants to do and so he just doesn't think about other people necessarily. It's not that he's going out of his way to be mean to them or to belittle them. He just doesn't think of them necessarily. He's just oblivious to them. And so, and like throughout the film, you sort of see this a little bit, but then like Zoe Saldana's character comes in and comes along for the ride. And she sort of like gives them a talking to as if he's like particularly mean and just being a jerk all the time. And it's like, well, he's not, and like, he needs to change and be nice. And it's like, well, he, he wasn't that bad in the, to start with. He just, maybe like, I feel like the lesson there was the wrong lesson, essentially. And so like, does he, he has to make this character change that, or the story means that he has to make this character change, which I don't think he needed to. And so that sort of, I guess maybe meant that when you get to the end and he, it's a bit deflating. So, but yeah, apart from that, it's a great film. It's just really nice and good fun. Uh, like I say, a lot of good jokes. Zach Galifianakis is great as this sort of out of touch, but kind of educated um, beast. And it's just, it's just a lot of fun. Worth a watch. Um, and now is the big one. Now is Avengers Endgame. So if you don't want spoilers, I'd leave now. Um basically like i said last week it's a bloody good film um maybe not as good as infinity war but i don't know i'd have to have more views like i say i've only seen it once right at the front of a screen next to a kid who didn't want to be there so maybe that's part of the reason why i didn't enjoy it as much but um what i would say is i expected a bit more captain marvel especially because she'd been in she's been a lot of promotional material and um yeah, Captain Marvel just came out and you, you thought that it was going to lead into it a bit more. So, yeah, more Captain Marvel, but 
they give some really good reasons as to why she's not there. So it was all fair enough. Um, another thing was that it didn't have a lot of action, but I guess that is kind of part and parcel of being the second part of a two-parter. Um, it had quite a, it was quite a slow beginning, uh, especially like the first half, especially. Um, which, but that's like the nature you've seen Infinity War. You know that everyone dies, or well, half the people die. So it's obviously not going to be a happy start to it. Um, so, yeah, but maybe they could have put a bit more action in there just to sort of lighten things up and just so it's not this sort of heavy, just to bring the tone up a little bit, make it a bit lighter at times. Um, but overall, it's it's really good. And it's very impressive that they managed to wrap up so many plot lines and so many character arcs. Um yeah, especially like the way that they did, like, like they didn't just do it satisfactorily; they did it really well. So, massive props to them for doing that. Um, so, it's a couple of uh, character arcs that they wrapped up especially well. Tony Stark. Uh, so, basically, like a lot, I've seen a few articles basically saying that it's not really been the Infinity Saga; it's been the Tony Stark saga. Um, which is kind of true, but he's Iron Man started it all, um, and he's been integral to the MCU, and he's got he's the one that's undergone the biggest change. Like a lot of the stuff that's been in these films have been because of his actions. Um, Age of Ultron is kind of because of him. Um, Infinity War, he decides to go on the ship to space and confront stuff and. He's sort of at the forefront of everything. And it was very fitting that he was the one to do the snap at the end to fix everything. Well, to, yeah, to rid it, the world of Thanos and the Black Order and, uh, yeah, and all the Outriders and whatnot. So, yeah, like a, there's a bit towards the start of the film or, Maybe it was Infinity War or whatever that he was. He's basically if there's a problem that needs solving, he can't help himself but to fix it basically. And so yeah, like I say, it was very fitting that he was the one to eventually fix it. Um, they also wrapped up Captain America's storyline, um, not with him dying like Tony Stark did, but with him growing old. Um. Because he f- used the time travel, finally go back and be with Peggy Carter, which, which is what everyone wanted. I mean, you can't say like I don't believe you. If you look me in the eye and say I didn't want them to be together, then you have a heart of stone because that is the that's the best romance of the MCU by far, and it's one of the best romances I've seen on screen. Like I'm not a romantic per well I'm not like a romantic person in terms of films but that was a relationship that i wanted to happen and that you just want them to have their happy ending and so to for them to have that because people weren't expecting it for them to have that is, was just amazing um he also passes on the captain america mantle to sam wilson which was nice easily could have been bucky but um yeah it was nice that sam wilson gets it He's not really been a bigger player in the MCU so far, so maybe this is a good time to give him a bit of a roll, give him a bit of a run out. Um, and you you never know, like maybe the Captain America thing title could be a big part of the Disney Plus show that they're doing. So yeah, that'd be interesting to see. Um, also, Black Widow, uh, her arc ends because um, she dies getting one of the stones. Um, which I think was, it's, it was unexpected, especially because her film is coming out at some point soon, which I guess is now going to be a prequel. Um, but it was good. I mean, like she has sort of come from this weird, almost villainous background, uh, originally when she was a spy and stuff and it's nice now that she felt like she could have something to like a group something to fight for and something to die for um 
because she didn't really have a sense of belonging. Even in some of the early films, she like sort of didn't feel like she belonged. Um, so it's nice that she def- that she had that, and she felt like she had that support and that network, and that she wanted to die for the Avengers. So, um, yeah, that was good stuff, and um, especially that scene on Vormir was an impactful scene. Uh, I mean, the last time we went there was quite an emotional scene as well, but it's such a, they were so different. Uh, those reactions and those sort of contrasts of those scenes was just really great um, and so effective. So, yeah, love that stuff. Uh, speaking of that scene, uh, Hawkeye was really good in this film, um, especially the start where you see his family disappear. It just sort of, if you if you hadn't watched Infinity War before going into this, it reaffirms like the toll that has been taken, and yeah, it's hard hitting. But um, yeah, I'd say a lot of this the other st- Hawkeye stuff that's been in this film, like his turn as Ronin and stuff and whatnot. It's I, it didn't feel as emotional, or you don't. It doesn't have that impact that other characters do because he hasn't been utilised much in the MCU. And so, yeah. So, like, I feel like if he'd have died on Formia and not rather than Black Widow, it wouldn't have had that weight with it. So, also because it's sort of expected. Like, everyone thought he was going to die in Age of Ultron, so. Yeah, it would have just been like, oh, yeah, it's finally happened, like, the inevitable. So, yeah, we'll see. Um... Professor Hulk was also really good. Um, it was an interesting direction to go in. Um, the thing is, like they'd had a an arc planned over Ragnarok, Infinity War, and, and Endgame, and so this is the culmination of it. And it's a really good, good direction to go in. It's an interesting direction. It's something that I didn't see it coming. I don't know whether other people didn't see it coming. It was, and it it's a really good. It was a really good idea, but and it's almost a way that they could easily phase him out now. We could easily become this sort of bit part player. Um, because he doesn't do much hulking stuff, he's just more of Bruce Banner in a Hulk's body. Um So yeah. Um I think that's a good way of sort of being able to add him back in if you want to, but you could also leave him out of future films if you wanted to. Um and he provided a lot of needed levity in this film. Like it's just, it's all quite sad and somber. Like Infinity War had a lot of like it was more upbeat for obvious reasons. Um, and having Professor Hulk in there, especially his introduction and some of the stuff in New York when they do the time heist was really good uh, and a good good fun. Um, speaking of good fun, Ant Man. Um, had a lot of fun parts to him. Um, I found it very strange that he escaped from the quantum realm by a rat, but I guess the I mean, there's a lot of writing gone into these two films, and I guess if you're gonna, you might you want you want to take some cut some corners somewhere. I guess <laughs> well, you need some reason for him to come out. So it's fair enough. I don't mind it too much. Um, you got a lot of other weird stuff going on. Why not have a rat? push a button to get him out that's fine um yeah i didn't especially when he came out i didn't feel like and he saw his daughter again but it had been five years when he thought it was five hours he didn't have it had an emotional impact but i didn't feel like if they'd have given him more chance to act because i know that he can't like he paul rudd's great and he can properly act but i didn't feel like he was given that opportunity and I don't feel like it had a, as emotional an impact because of that. But to be fair, Ant-Man, is you, you've got a lot of emotional scenes in this film and a lot of emotional character arcs. And I guess Ant-Man is one of the more lighthearted characters. So that's fair enough. Um, also, another kind of comic relief character, Rocket Raccoon. Um, had a few good parts. Obviously, he wasn't in it much, 
Um, Infinity War was very hard, Guardians heavy. This one, not so much, obviously, because most of them were dead. Um, but Rocket didn't, still Rocket didn't have that big a part to play. Um, I'd hoped he would have been in it more. He's one of my favourite MCU characters, so personally I would have liked to see more, but I understand why not. Um, this is very much sort of a wrap-up of a lot of um, core Avengers characters, so you want to push them to the forefront. Um, but someone that got pushed to the forefront more than was expected was Nebula. Um, that was, it's not really a good thing. It's not really a bad thing. It was just a thing. It's not... I can't... I'd struggle to find someone who would say that she is their favourite character. I can't believe that anyone would really say that she's their favourite character, but maybe she must be somebody's. But um, she's had an interesting character arc, though, um, over the films she's been in, um, going from sort of villain, sort like henchman, henchwoman villain, to um, reformed and killing her old self. Um both metaphorically and literally. So, yeah, I think she had some good stuff and um, obviously needed to be in there for twist later on in the film, but it, yeah, it was good. Um, yeah, I enjoyed the stuff that she was in, but obviously, like I said, she's not my favourite character. She's just a character that's in there, uh, much like Vision was, to be fair. Um but yeah, moving on, the time heist uh, was great. I mean, I love a heist. Um, there was there was not too much heisting. I would have liked if they'd have done the usual sort of, right, we're going to go this, we're going to do that, we're going to do that, and then they show what's happening, and then they go in, and then it's different. Like, I would have liked that, but I guess, like, this is a three-hour film already, so adding more to it would have just been ludicrous. So, I mean, I thought this was possibly your time to put more action in there but again three hour film don't want to make it any longer really um but yeah there's a lot of fan service in there which is good how it stark was in there they had uh, jarvis from the agent carter tv show they had lots of other little nods and winks and backgrounds eight the ancient one was in there from dr strange and uh they have the astral projection in there and it's it's just great it's just good stuff and they go back to Morag, you see the opposite perspective of Star-Lord dancing. And it looks ridiculous, which it would do. And it's just, I mean, it was all good stuff. Um, and I think it was really good, like, they made good use of the pin particles and having the twist of Thanos then coming into the future. Um, which, I mean, they're gonna, they would have had to have, it's almost, I've seen a lot of people saying, like, this is not, it's not a great bit of writing, but you, and it's you could say it's almost like an excuse to get another big battle done, but I'm fine with it. It's a comic book film at the end of the day, so I'm fine with it. Um, speaking of the final battle, it was spectacular. Maybe not as like impactful as the Infinity War because you'd never seen the like the Wakandan battle. You'd never seen something of that scale before. Not in the MCU, anyway. Um, so, but now you've already seen it, having it again in Endgame, even though it's, like, scaled up massively, it's still not as impactful. Um, and I think part of that was, like, the backdrop's not as interesting. It's very much, like, see, like, I mean, well, Wakanda was CGI as well, but, I mean, Wakanda was, it was light, it was airy, and you could see a lot, whereas this one was kind of dark and dreary and almost stereotypical, like ruined wreckage or something. So, but it was still it was still amazing. Still had loads of moments in there that were great. Um, the return of Lost Heroes and like the Avengers Cap saying Avengers Assemble. It's like yes, that was a really emotional bit because there's like a thing that's like the what I would say is like the culmination of. 11 years and 22 films like that is what that particular moment is what these films have been building to and that and so like all of the emotion that you've had up to that point sort of peaks at from well for me especially at that point um yeah there's lots of other great character moments like iron man and rescue together 
um, like rescues the female pepper pots. I'm an I'm woman. Um, yeah, Ant Man and Wasp being reunited and doing their little jiggery pokery with the quantum uh, quantum machine. Um, and one of the biggest points, Cap wielding Mjolnir because that is that is a fanboy dream. That is something that's happened in the comics, I know, but it's not something I thought would happen in the MCU. And it's so badass. It was so good. And it was... And Thor cheering him on was a good character arc because he was like in Age of Ultron when they're doing the having a little party and testing it out. He gets a bit worried when it wobbles, when Cap tries to lift it. But then when Cap actually lifts it in Endgame, he's like, yes, I knew it. So it was so good. So, so good. And he gave Thanos a beating for a little bit. And he, oh, it, was all, it was everything you wanted and more. It was so, so good and so unexpected. And it's probably my highlight of the film. Um also something that I loved was they had the like sort of large scale capture the flag segment where Black Panthers goes off on a run. Uh, I can't remember who had it originally, but Black Panther takes the gauntlet and goes on a bit of a run and does his kinetic thing and beats up a bunch of people. And then Spider-Man takes it and he goes for a bit and then he does his insta kill thing and you just see him stabbing lots of dudes. And then Captain Marvel gets it and just Spider-Man's like, oh no. You, you might not get through all of that. And she's like, oh no, I've got this. And then all the females come behind. And it's like the first sighting of A-Force, which is like the like a female-only version of the Avengers. Uh, and it's so it was such a good pow- empowering moment for like the women of the MCU and just for women in general. Like there's only really been two in this sort of modern renaissance of superhero films. There's only been two female-led superhero films and there should be more and this was just a great way of showcasing them and showcasing all of the good stuff that they have um and i want to see more of it because it's great um yeah that's mainly it i'm not going to bother delving into time travel plot holes and whatever and picking them apart talk about them for hours but i'm not that bothered at the end of the day it's a comic book film probably going to have some problems in it the fact that they've wrapped up everything so so well is so impressive and they you should just give them props for that um people are always going to pick stuff apart but um in my book it's a fantastic film um the only one plot hole that i'm going to talk that i will say is one that i find really entertaining uh because people have said that so there's obviously five years since the snap and people coming back but and five years is a long time. Like, you could have gone, found, another, like, say your family disappeared. You could have found someone else. You could have had a new family. And then your old family comes back. And now you have two families. Like, you have two husbands. Or you have two wives. You have two sets of children. It's very strange. And there's a, it could be very awkward. Which I found really, <laughs> I just find that funny. Um, but yeah, but like other plot holes, whatever. Just brush them aside, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Um, even that one they'll probably just they may say like a sentence or so or just not even address it um, but yeah um, anyway thanks for listening I've gone on for way 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 too long I'm still trying to get down the timings of this um, I'd originally wanted to try and do everything in half an hour but it's been over an hour now so yeah it's not going too well but we'll try and get back on track I'll try and not ramble as much um it's just a lot i want to talk to you about um but yeah um next week um i'm going back and talking about another time um this time it'll be what if the american version of the girl with the dragon tattoo came out before the swedish version so that's david finch's version and what if that came out first and what sort of impact would that have made um, because that, because the Swedish version they got a trilogy, the other ones they got one, and then like years later they got another one. But it was like the fourth book, not the second book, and it was a different director and it was a different actress and stuff. So, yeah, it's I'll be talking about that 
and other stuff. I'll probably be seeing another film. I'll be talking about that. Um, if you'd like to get in touch, you can do. It'd be good to hear from you about any of these films or whatnot or anything else that you want to talk to me about. Um, you can find me on by email at filmmeuppod at outlook.com. Uh, you can find me at Facebook at filmmeup. Um, yeah, just facebook.com slash filmmeup. Um, you can find me on Twitter at All Out Walker. And this, I don't know where you're listening to this from, but um, this podcast goes up on YouTube. Uh, and it goes up, just type, just search for it in YouTube. It's on iTunes, it's on Podbean, it's on Castbox. Um, if there's anything else that you'd like me to put it on, just let me know. Um, and I'll try and arrange that for you. I don't really know how Spotify. Had to get on Spotify yet, but uh, that's a work in progress. And sorry for going on for so long. Probably bored you to tears. Um, but thank you very much for stay, sticking with me and for listening. And I'll see you next week. Bye. <laughs>